You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I love this sport just because it is that constant. Okay, I could have, there's three sports. So every single race, it's this constant, like, I could have done better on this. Like, okay, I finally had a great swim, but I cramped up on the run. Or some days I have amazing bike rides, but then... I run horribly, oh, maybe I overbiked. I feel like with the three sports, it's this constant give and take of like, can you nail what you feel is the best across all three? And every time it's like, didn't do it this time, didn't do it that time. And that's what's addictive about it because you are searching for that, or at least that's what I am. That was Heather Jackson. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today, I sync up with professional triathlete, Heather Jackson. She is a four-time top five finisher at Ironman World Championships, a 12-time 70.3 World Champion, a four-time Wildflower Champion, and Escape from Alcatraz Champion. In addition to being super fast, Heather is also super cool. We had a lot of fun recording this conversation back in September 2021, just after we both wrapped Timberman, a popular 70.3 Ironman race in Laconia, New Hampshire, which happens to be near where Heather grew up. Heather and I do a race debrief, and well, as expected, we are doing a deep dive into all things triathlon training, racing, motivation, gear, and fashion. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code CHEERSMARNIE for 25% off. Now, back to our guest, Heather Jackson. Heather and I also talk about where her journey into triathlon began, how she keeps things fresh and exciting, how she builds strength on the bike, because we all know I am obsessed with strength training right now, her love of gravel cycling, and how she spends her off-season. Heather also shares how she met her husband and business partner, Sean Watkins, a.k.a. Waddy, and how much fun she had this summer racing with her sister and brother. I'm sure you are going to love this conversation. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. Head over to wherever you listen, open your Apple podcast app, click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes, and well, leave us five stars and leave us a review. Tell us what you love and share what you're listening to on social, wherever you like to get social, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and tag us. We'll tag you back. Now, on to my conversation with Heather. Heather, it's so great to finally have you on the podcast and to connect with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> so now are you relaxing and recovering or are you in startup race mode again? Yeah, I'm in actually like weird mode right now. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of a weird couple of weeks just with, I mean, as you know, yeah. um, they postponed Kona again. And so like you, I was at Timberman and that was meant to actually kick off 
my Kona block. Like it wasn't, I took two weeks off after Lake Placid just to recover from basically the year I had had already put together and just kind of like reset, take two weeks. My husband, Wadi and I, um, we actually went to the Oregon coast and rode our gravel bikes for like a week straight and just kind of unplugged. And so that was awesome. And then I just had one week um, till Timberman. So I did a couple of like super short sharpening up sessions, but I knew Timberman was just kind of like, okay, this will be a long, hard day. Count it for training and just like kick off eight weeks to Kona and the week before it got canceled. So (laughs) I found out about it the day of our race when we were at Timberman. That's when I don't know if obviously you found out about it before because you're in it and participating as a pro. But I think I saw a press release go out the morning of Timberman or the day before Timberman. I I don't know when, but yeah, let's talk about (laughs) Timberman because honestly, this is one of my favorite races. And I know this is where you're from. And I feel like I have passed you. (laughs) But when you come through the finish line, not passed you on the race course, just for all intensive purposes, (laughs) passed you coming through the finish line when you were handing out medals. Um, You did that one year, I think. Yeah. I mean, have you done this race every year that it was running? I've done it, I think, every year that they've had a pro field there. So the last I don't know how many years they've taken the pro fields in and out at different races. And so I'm pretty sure I've been at every one that has had it a pro field. So I know in 15, I was there in 2015 for sure, because my husband and I got married the week before and then like flew back for the race. And then also my family's there. So that would have been the last time since just a couple of weeks ago. I was out there. But prior to that, yeah, I had been there most August. I definitely think you handed me a medal at one point. (laughs) But in that (laughs) moment, like, coming through the finish line is always a blur for me (laughs) and a sense of relief. But, yeah, like, I run past things, past people, past food, past water. I'm just going. Yeah, clueless, just (laughs) focused. It was a totally new course this year. How did you feel about that? I actually liked it. I think I thought it was better. The finish line um, and transition area I thought was better than the previous years. Just personally, I liked finishing in downtown Laconia. Um, I know it's still like a bit COVID-y, so like maybe not as big of crowds, but I think that downtown stretch has the potential to be like a crazy shoot with you know, awesome fans out there, which it was, um, this year it was raining kind of storming. So I think some people had maybe already like edited in, but <laughs> I did like that finish. You did. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I got to the finish line, it was my partner and like three other people. <laughs> and I think that your sister finished a little bit before me, which I think I actually, saw her on the run when she was doing her second loop I didn't know it was your sister but I remember because I saw pictures I remember approaching mile five or six and just wanting to go back you know and go back to the transition area and just call the race (laughs) for you it was such a different race for me it was torrentially pouring and that started for me on the bike. And then during the run I mean you can any you know it's not that hard to run in the rain but after that bike and I don't know. I was out there for a long time and I was just like, I don't know if this is worth it. Like, this isn't my job, you know? (laughs) I was running next to someone and it was their second time around. It was my first time around. And I was like, I'm just going to go back. And she said to me, no, don't. She's like, you're almost at mile six. You've got this. Like, you can do it. And I was like, okay. Somehow that made sense to me. That must have been really fun for your sister and brother to be racing with you. Yeah, that was super cool. That was um, the second they had announced it was back, I think was in like April or May, they announced they were bringing it back. We were like, okay, we're going to do this one. We were already trying to plan a trip back um, to New Hampshire, just, um, we hadn't been back at all. And our grandpa passed last year and nobody was back there with him or got to see him, or we hadn't really kind of dealt with it as a family and his house is still sitting there. And so it was kind of one of these, like, we were all going to get back there at some point. And so this presented an opportunity and as well as my sister's been wanting to do one, she's been training and been with me, like coming to the lakes with me for swimming and, 
that my brother Chris lives in, he actually lives in Barrington, New Hampshire. So not far. Um, and he's like, I'm going to do it if you guys are. So he signed up. He had, he didn't do any training whatsoever. So he actually didn't even make it onto the run. <laughs> I know I was watching all your YouTube videos and I was dying. They were so funny. That was so funny. Your brother's like, I got this. I did 19 miles in an hour and that's what I'm going to do on the race course. Exactly. It was so funny. We're like, all right, Chris, you got this. <laughs> like, what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, man, it make We were like, yeah, could have predicted. Is your yeah. sister going back? <laughs> Is she doing another one? Yeah, she's, uh, I assume she'll do one before then. Um, yeah. I'm sure she'll do that one again, but. I know she's probably like looking at the list of races now. Um, she sends me photos like every day of her like training. So I actually had one of my old bikes set up for her. My husband, Wadi, set it up, fit her on it, everything. And she was training on it, but on the trainer right. only. And then he took her out on the road one day just to like practice. And she's, oh, whoa, this is going way too fast. <laughs> so she actually raced Timberman on her gravel bike oh my God. with like 40 wheels or something. I, I forget what size, but like not fast. And so, I mean, she was not happy about her bike, but I'm like, you would ride double as fast. I promise you, if you had skinny tires on. So I think she wants to see what she can do on a TT bike yeah. <laughs> or at least road wheel. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's it was it was definitely a hard bike in terms of elevation and just forget about the rain right but it was just a lot of climbing in a short period of time for anyone doing that race so that last 20 miles was pretty legit (laughs) I was really excited about it till I started climbing and we made that turn I mean I was still excited about it but as soon as I made the turn off the highway that's when it started raining as soon as I started the climb Uh, I had a lot of self-talk I'm sure that you do this as well but there was like this self-talk moment where I was flying up the hill and some girl was like, don't go fast down the hill. And I'm like, what? Of course I'm going to go fast down the hill. And then it was really <laughs> raining. and I had to really think about it because that's why I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to fly down the hills. And Totally. Anyway, were there any challenges for you on the course at all during the race? Yeah. I mean, those hills definitely, definitely caught up with me I think I mean we had pre-driven the course I knew it was coming and I was like okay just like first half keep it like steady keep it steady meaning the flat part because you're not going to gain too much time on the flat compared to if you're a good climber and my strength is usually in hilly courses like that's Mm -hmm. where you'll I could gain some time back and so but I got there and my legs just were so flat I think coming off of like the break and I had raced three Ironman so it was like that was in my head, like, okay, it's go time. You'll reel them in now. And then I had nothing to give. And so on top of that, you're already struggling mentally. And then those hills were you're either up or down for 20 miles. So (laughs) there was nothing rolling about them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So on that kind of course, you kind of recommend having a good, solid, steady pace and steady power for the most part, and then saving, keeping some extra energy in the tank for the climbs and attacking on the climb yeah totally that's I mean usually my my approach but I I love climbing I'm a pretty good climber versus like say a flat I'm not the most aerodynamic I'm not just like tuck it down and stay aero it's more like on the hills I'm yeah climbing quicker than others so for me that's usually a race tactic I also target like hilly courses specifically for that so like an oceanside a wildflower a placid you like hilly on the run too? Yeah, usually I don't have that like pure speed, but I can get up over a hill pretty good. I've got like short little strides. <laughs> so, How do you build your strength all year into that? How do you, I love climbing. I love hills. I like that kind of terrain, but I need to do a ton of work. So in terms mm-hmm. of strength, and I just signed up for Zwift Road Academy it's good training and it's, I I definitely see myself doing better in a group and having that competition as opposed to going out and riding with a couple friends, having other athletes or at least, you know, Zwift athletes 
are you doing a lot of strength on the bike? What are you doing in terms of training to get better on the climbing? Yeah, I, I definitely do a lot of strength work on the bike, probably one specific session a week, but then another two, like I'll add it into say like a long ride, like before some of the efforts, one to get the extra strength worth and work and two, like it's a good way to fatigue the legs before needing to do say an effort, which right. simulates more race without doing an actual race and like how your legs are going to feel at hour two or three or four. And so you can do big gear efforts early on in a ride to really fatigue the legs and then still try to do solid intervals later. And then I do like one specific, just big gear five by five or four by six or like just pretty basic, simple, but just big gear, put it as Bigger gear you can push without, say, tweaking your back, really still just focused on engaging the muscles and not looking at like watts or power, but just literally grinding as best you can. And then each week trying to improve that a little bit. So that's literally like most Tuesdays. That's what I do. (laughs) I've seen you. Yeah. I climb a lot too on my ride. So looking for those sort of rides specifically versus just like going out on flat roads. So I'm in Tucson right now. So we have Mount Lemon. We have a couple other climbs here that are good. So going for those instead of just like down to the bike path. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. I think I'm trying to kind of figure out. I, I actually rode with a coach this weekend for the first time, a friend of mine, and I stayed on her wheel and she went faster than I usually would you know ever ride so it was really cool to see that I actually had it in me to go faster and we it's not flat it's all hills so I always get so frustrated when I come back and I look at Strava and it says 13 miles an hour and I'm like I know I was hitting 18 20 that's not fair I actually like deleted my Strava link to training peaks the other day I was so pissed but I I put it back because I then I got upset because I didn't see my segments and you know how it has all the great segments. So I get to see like how I, you you know, you know, Strava. So you get to see all your PRs along the way. Yeah. It's a toss up for me. I don't think Strava's right though. Like I'll load up something randomly and it'll say like, it'll give a power for the ride and I don't even have power on some of my bikes. So where does it come from? Yeah. (laughs) Back to Timberman and that terrain. I love that neighborhood. I love doing that race. I've gone four or five times at least, like 2014, 2015, 16 last year. And I really love the area. I liked staying there. We did an Airbnb this year on Lake Winnipesaukee. I loved it. I mean, I would go every summer. You know, it's just such a nice place. And being from New York, we don't have those kind of amazing hills or the beautiful lakes in the city, especially, obviously. What do you recommend? Like if somebody's going to go next summer and do Timberman, what are some great places to visit or to go or stay or eat? All your favorite things okay. in that area? Um, that's a good question. Because I actually, I grew up going to, so where Laconia is, if you went a little bit further north. So if Lake Winnipesaukee was on your right, if you're looking at the map, uh, my dad is from a town called Sandwich, New Hampshire. So okay. it's up past this town called Meredith. Okay. I love Meredith. Yeah. I was going to say, you should go, if you're based around there, like Meredith or Center Harbor, Santa Haba, Sandwich, up in that area is a little bit more quieter than say like Guilford area. Mm-hmm. And it's more kind of, yeah, like country is. You can find Airbnbs on either Winnipesaukee or another good lake is Squam Lake. So okay. that one is a little bit quieter. You can swim in that one a little bit easier. Like you can swim in Winnipesaukee, but there are a ton of boats. Yeah. You have to be careful. Yeah. So Squam Lake is, there's still boats, but I think it's more like just low key ones. So it's great for swimming. There's dirt roads all around it for running or if you bring a gravel bike. So Squam is a good one. But yeah, all up in that like notch area between Meredith, um, Center Harbor, Sandwich. I'm trying to think of restaurants because there's like a super cute ice cream shop. I think it's in Meredith. Um, But yeah, there's a couple it's they're all the towns are so small is the thing. Laconia yeah. is one of the biggest. It was good for holding a race to be down there. But for like a good, just fun week getaway on a lake, I would go maybe a tiny bit more north. <laughs> I liked what you were saying about the race finish into the town because it was it was great to see that there were all these other places in the, the town to eat or shop. <laughs> what other races did you do this year? You did Coeur d'Alene, which was not, I remember, I read... You did not have a great race. 
but it's a beautiful place to visit and another great race location. And what was, yes. and you did Placid. Was there something else? I raced Ironman Tulsa in okay. May. I raced Florida 70.3. I raced Galveston 70.3. This, the last two years have like run together. <laughs> the main ones were Tulsa though, which was a first year event. I don't know. I don't want to offend any of your listeners from Tulsa, but I probably wouldn't go back. I think not because of Tulsa. Tulsa was actually super cool that we found some really awesome areas in that town to like go to dinner and hang out, coffee shops. The race was not ideal. Double transition. You had to take a bus to transition in the morning, like an hour away. Oh my God. Okay. Get dropped off. Then you had to set your transition up and then you had to walk half an hour to where you actually started the swim. So you had to have transition set up by like 5 a.m. You had to leave, walk 30 minutes, another 30 minutes, like so many other things that were just not ideal for, I don't know. Yeah, I know it was a first year race, so. They'll probably fix it. They'll probably do something to change it. I feel like even with this year's Timberman, there's probably going to be some tweaks on that course. Right, totally. No, totally. So you've been racing since they started again. Yeah, it's been a weird... I actually started in December because I went to that Challenge Daytona for PTO. Right. And so I kind of got going in like September, October just to be like... I don't know. I didn't go into that race. I went just purely to support PTO, but it still had already kicked off my season back in like September, October. And then we kind of just kept going. And so it feels like it's been nonstop now which is different than usual. And it started to kind of be like, uh, I don't usually do three Ironmans. Coeur d'Alene should have been it, but I had a tire blowout and that was what I was on the side of the road for like 45 minutes in Coeur d'Alene. And it was just so bummed after. I think that one would have gone way better than Tulsa and would have been a, a good, like, I usually peak around there at the full distance. It usually takes me the first six months of the year to kind of get going and get that. Yeah. And then, it was this like, what should we do? Shut it down or until Kona prep or push through and Placid is my other all-time favorite. So yeah. I was like, no, I don't want to take a mid-season break off of flat tire race. And right. so we and pushed it. so much work to get there. Yeah, exactly. So we pushed again for three more weeks and then I went to Placid. Placid was pretty good. I mean, I was yeah, I cramped up with like five miles to go. It was a nutrition based thing. So I, I didn't walk away upset with fitness or my training. It was more just knowing I needed to nail that going into Kona. And so it makes it more kind of like relevant in your mind. So that right. was good. Like I'm like, All right, I got to practice this for Kona. So yeah, I was in a good spot post placid, like, okay, let's reset. And then it'll be eight weeks till Kona. Um, so yeah, that's been my year so far. <laughs> so it's very busy when there was a moment where there weren't any races on the calendar. Were you just like, I'm just going to keep training anyway? Or did you kind of take a hit? Like, what was your mental state like in that moment and physical? <laughs> yeah, it was last year was so weird because for us, I feel like they kept sending out emails to the pros that there was a chance there some races were going to go off or maybe they would have some for us where they could have events like fewer than X amount when that mm-hmm. started opening up again. And so it was this constant, like stay a little bit in shape because you never know when you might be able to. So for me, I mean, Oceanside got canceled, um, which would have been the kickoff of my year. So April, May, it was like, okay, we'll keep training because we'll be racing by June or July for sure. Right. Like that, I feel like we always were just like, Oh no, we'll be back soon. So we just yeah. kept not like all out key working out, but still like training pretty good, like high volume, just not intensity. And then June races got canceled. And then it was like, okay, Lake Placid will happen for sure. So <laughs> it was this weird, like I kept staying somewhat going. And then I think the biggest hit was in August when Kona got canceled. And then yeah. A lot of the other fall races did as well. So September, October, November, I think Arizona. I was like, oh, I'll do Arizona. That's fine. Right. And then that one went too. So I think that was probably the worst period was like. Last year September, around this time. Yeah. Yeah. But then it was like, okay. So I, I basically 
it ended up being fine for me because I was on this running kick for some reason. I don't remember how I got on it. I started running like every day. And then yeah. I was like, Oh, let me see what I can build my mileage up to. So August, September, I started running a ton and I built my mileage up to like a couple like hundred mile weeks. Wow. I was like 70 miles. I'm like, okay, next week I'll hit 80. Then I got up to 90, then hundred. I'm like, Oh, I'll do like 105. And I'm like, so it was just, yeah, I was just up in bend. Yeah. It was cool just to see what you could do. And then September, October hit and it was like, okay, I don't know that those were probably the worst. Like, what do we do? Do we like take a break now from doing nothing? Cause that's usually when I take a break, November ish, November, December. And then. Cause it's usually after Kona. Exactly. But we still just kind of like PTO had supported all the pros last year and I got a pretty good paycheck yes. from that. That's amazing. That organization is really, really great. Yeah. They're really supporting the pros. And so I felt I had to be at Daytona, even though I wasn't, it's not a race I would do at all, right. period, like a circular racetrack. So, but I still, I'm like, you know what, I'll go and just, and I had been training all year with Paula Finley, uh, yes. had been in Tucson and so she won it. It was awesome. So it was, it was fine. It was a good weekend, but it was still like this weird time of, okay, now what, now we really shut it down or could races come back. And so January, February, March, I mean, I just feel like it's been this nonstop, same like thing on repeat, but then this year races have been back, but it's still been this, like some of them, are they going to happen? I don't know. It's, I was surprised when they canceled Kona because I just felt like we were moving in a good direction with all the other races being open yeah. and available, but I understand obviously that Hawaii was not in a good health, a good state of health. So in general, so that was probably the challenge, not so much about the racing, but just the overall community. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. So when you are not training and on your preseason or off season, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Usually. So also well, usually we'll go back up to bend um, where my family's mostly all there now. So we'll have the holidays. The last few years I've raced Arizona, which is the weekend before Thanksgiving. So it's perfect because I'll race that one and then feel 100% ready to just like shut it down going into Thanksgiving week. So Thanksgiving week, we go back up to Ben, have Thanksgiving with the family there. Um, I probably, I don't do much at all. Like I think our, we like would go to hot yoga a couple of times. You really shut it down. Yeah, exactly. For probably two weeks is like that. And then I start to be like, okay, I want to like move and just like break a sweat. So December is usually like I'll jog and get on the trainer. Usually by then it's cold and snowing. So just like light, short workouts. I get, I get back in the pool, but just to stay in the water and not completely lose the feel. So just two to three K maybe three times a week, nothing structured, just whatever day I feel like it. I try to make sure, yeah, three, four times a week get in. I do skate skiing. Wadi and I go, snow. if it's snowing and we get a good storm, like we go straight to the mountain snowboarding yeah. all day. Yeah. So you're trying to mix it up with different sports and you go, oh, you love gravel riding. Would, do you see any gravel racing and competition in your future? Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's my plan ultimately for sure. So, yeah. and probably at this point sooner than later, because for me, it's, yeah, that excites me. It's new. It's refreshing. I still have goals I haven't hit in Ironman, but I mean, what excites me is planning out these like crazy gravel adventures and, or in some of the races that are out there and just more of that lifestyle versus the everyday, like you have to be on prepping. Do you remember your first race? What that was like your first triathlon yes totally exactly like that where you're like oh my god what is I used to think triathlon was an adventure race actually what was your first race well my first triathlon was actually a sprint distance in in New Hampshire but it was called race to the face and it was like a 12 mile mountain bike to the base of the ski mountain you swam across this pond and then you ran up the like main ski run of the ski mountain Sounds like a Jesse Itzler special. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it was like more adventure But yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't. You didn't view it as a race. It was like this cool, crazy activity or just adventure. And so that's for me what gravel is like. Oh, look at this road. Like, let's try this one. And just 
discovering all these new for us like usually just dirt roads in the middle of nowhere no cars on which has been huge I feel like bike car accidents have been increasing so for us just to get into the woods and it's and you're on GPS or you map it out this is my newest fear (laughs) getting (laughs) lost in the woods I watch too much Netflix. Oh my God. Same, same. No, I mean, I have a couple apps I use, but then also just like, I'll, I'll study the maps online before we go out for a ride and be like, okay, this, I think this one looks good. Like I'll put on like the satellite imagery and like yeah. scroll down in and like dirt road. This looks like dirt. So, and then there have been a few where I'm like, no, I, I looked this one up. I swear, Wadi, like it, it looks like it's going to be a good one. And then a couple have been amazing. And then some like dead end a mile later, there's a fence or, but I've, I found a, a few that way that have turned into like epic rides for us. <laughs> Were you also a track cyclist at one point before you got into triathlon? Did I read that in Wikipedia? <laughs> Yeah, I did. I raced the track for a few years right when I met Wadi because he's he's actually like a super decorated track racer. Um, He was a pro cyclist before I met him. And then he was still kind of racing when I met him um, road, but then primarily like dominated on the track. And he's like, we got to get you on there. I was just out of ice hockey. So I had the like sprinter, not sprinter legs, but hockey legs. So the bike was my strongest by far. And so he got me on the track for a couple seasons and it was, um, yeah, it was right before 2012, London 2012. And it was like, okay, make the decision to go for some of the track events, mainly pursuit or team pursuit or right. like folk triathlon. And I ended up going with triathlon. So <laughs> what was your first 70.3 that you did? I think my first was Timberman actually. Oh, really? That's so funny. Yeah. I think it would have been, oh, 07 or 08 as an age grouper and then I turned pro at the end of 09 so but I know I did that race as an age grouper so it would have been 07 or 08 because that's when I got into it (laughs) when did you go from 70.3 to Ironman I started no I did I did race the face I did Timberman and then I did I think I did another half somewhere it might have even like a local one where the prize was like the 18 to 24 age group prize was a slot into Ironman Lake Placid. So I raced Ironman Lake Placid. That would have been an 08 as an age grouper and got my Kona slot for 08. So I raced Kona as an age grouper in 08. And then it was around then when I met Wadi, we didn't start dating right away, but it was the next year he came up to where I was living and was like, just quit your job. Like move to San Diego with me. I'll help you out. You can always go back to teaching. How'd you guys meet? He was up in the Bay area, which is where I was living. And he came on what was, it was just the Wednesday group ride that most of the people around in that area would go on. It was like a 30 mile ride every Wednesday night. He came out on it. And like, I was the only girl that was always kind of in that front front group front pack and I somehow ended up on his wheel and I was like screaming at him because there was like a a little gap opening and I (laughs) knew this was like key part of the ride and I'm like you have to stay on their wheel like we can't get dropped because otherwise it would be a headwind all the way back so he was like who is this crazy chick screaming at me like (laughs) that's so funny we met that on that and then yeah he was going out with clients that night and invited me to come along and I was like yeah I'm coming (laughs) that's so funny it's so funny I understand what you're saying because this weekend was like the first I don't I mean I'm a triathlete I don't really I just started getting into cycling from the actual cycling sport perspective so being able to draft and being able to ride in a peloton and keep a pace line and so this weekend I was doing that and my friend was in front of me and I was like should I let him go in front of me or no because he doesn't know anything about it and I was like if I let him go in front of me and he drops he gets dropped because he doesn't know how to hold on to someone's wheel then I'm gonna get dropped and I don't want to get dropped because it's really windy I was screaming at him and he didn't understand anything that I was saying and he's way faster than me but he could not 
grasp the concept. And then when he was behind me, he couldn't keep up to me because he couldn't focus on like staying in the group. Not so easy. Certainly. That's so funny. That's what happened. Do you have any advice now that you are a world-class winning (laughs) champion of all champions of Kona of all races? Any advice you'd give to your younger newbie triathlete self getting into the sport? You're too nice. (laughs) Not really advice, but just like, I feel like when you're new into the sport, it's super new and exciting and everything is like, you're excited for everything. And it's so like new, like you've never done it. You're constantly finding gains because you're like, Oh my God, I could do this way better. Like, Oh my gosh, I could swim way better than what I just did. And when you first get into the sport, you can make these crazy gains because you haven't done it before. So one race have a great bike, you might have a great run. Maybe you start to put all three together and that's what happens over time with, with time in the sport. And that's super exciting and fun. And, and then I feel like people, once you've been in the sport can reach a point where you're like putting all this work in and it, it almost becomes tedious or a job or a not fun anymore because the gains are so tiny. You're working as hard as you can just to find like 10 seconds in the swim or just a minute on the run. So for me, the advice is really more well for those beginners to keep that fun and excitement. And if it's not fun, don't do it. You need to find either the races, the training partners, the type of training that is fun because that's what makes you want to get out the door, get out and train, go to those races, do it for reasons that excite you and like ignite that passion. And then for the people that have been in the sport, get back to that, what you had when you started, because if you lose sight of that, then you're not going to perform well. At least me personally, I, anytime I'm doing it for either like non reasons of me being passionate about doing a race, whether it's because I have to qualify for something or it's, Oh, I should try to make some money here. Like any of those reasons I have, the worst races ever and yeah. it shows versus like the races I care about then um you're passionate that you're passionate about like a new destination or just something cool and exciting about that race exactly so finding what excites you and going after it and not doing the sport shouldn't be about other reasons that don't excite you and you won't have good performances or get the best out of yourself so what do you love the most about this sport now I love the sport just because it is that constant, like, okay, I could have, there's three sports. So every single race, it's this constant, like, I could have done better on this. Like, okay, I finally had a great swim, but I cramped up on the run. Or some days I have amazing bike rides, but then I run horribly. Oh, maybe I overbiked. I feel like with the three sports, it's this constant give and take of like, can you nail what you feel is the best across all three? And every time it's like, didn't do it this time, didn't do it that time. And that's what's addictive about it because you are searching for that, or at least that's what I am. No, I mean, it's never the same, right? Because the race, I mean, because you're not going to always go back and do the same race. It's always, it's a different race. So it's a different landscape and terrain and situation. And then when you go back to the same race, it's still not the same race. Exactly. So it's just this constant. Yeah. I guess what I love now is just, yeah, I'm at that level I was mentioning. of I can't expect to find five minute gains or which for a period of time, it was like this. I started getting down on myself of like, I'm not improving anymore. I'm like, this is it. And like, you get in this, you have to shift your mindset. And that's been part of the last few years of like, okay, put the work in, you'll find these little gains and finding that little bit more of like, okay, what else do I have to give and put all three together on one special day and like, get that. And that's like the constant. Yeah. That's a really, really hard, challenging thing to do. How does someone who is a professional athlete who is so fast and so far ahead of the game, go from fifth place to third place or third place to first place? There's such small details And is it just the elements that day? Is it your nutrition? Is it just a gear? It seems like a little nuance that's just so hard to click into. Yeah, it's exactly it is because any given day, there's probably 10 to 20 women, depending on the field that if you nail it on that, 
if you nail your taper, if you're not overtrained, if you're not tired, if you've raised less, if you, if you've raised more, like, yeah, there's so many things. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's like life, right? <laughs> it's like, you just don't know. Right. What would you say are a few of your biggest race and training lessons that have been game changers for competition? You know, something that like you learned from training and racing all these years that you've been doing it that have been like made such a huge difference for you in terms of competition and winning. Biggest thing I've learned, I would say, is just trusting what you learn over your time in the sport and what works for you versus what well, one, anyone else is doing friends or training partners. And then also you have to trust the coach that you have. But right. when it comes to say leading into work to, to races, knowing what works for you, say for a taper week of like, okay, less is more for me, less is more than yeah. what a lot of my coaches have given me, or like, you know, what you need to do to be ready on race day. And if it's way less than you're given, like do that because what it counts is race day and your performance, not the, the training sessions leading into that. So believing in yourself of like, okay, you feel tired, then take the day off. Right. That's been the biggest thing for me. Say, and in the day in, day in and day out training, like if you're super tired and your recovery day says, you know, an easy hour spin, a jog and another 30 minute swim, you're going to spend way more energy driving to the pool just to like flop around versus sleeping for an hour. So. so just don't do it, right? Just skip it. If you don't have the energy, like yeah. it's a waste of time. Do something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. The point of the day is to recover and be ready for tomorrow. So how do you need to get ready for tomorrow? Just because your training peak says X, Y, and Z, like yeah. just go to the couch and take a nap. I think a lot of people, yeah, try to get all their workouts in, especially when they have a coach and it's in their training peaks. And then they'll. I've been equally guilty of moving all my workouts around trying to do like a triathlon on a one weekend when I really was supposed to do exactly <laughs> a bike and a run, but I missed my swim. So now they're all on Sunday. Yes, exactly. That's a big one. Like moving stuff around where you're like, Oh, I still didn't hit it. And I've actually had to go off training peaks. I'm off it now just because it's like a mental thing where you open it and you see like red workouts that you didn't do. And it's <laughs> totally fine. Like I don't, yeah, I have coach like send it to me in an email and then I don't even like look at it again because I don't want to see like missed workouts or red, like yellow, red or green coloring or whatever it is. <laughs> I get obsessed with my fitness score and yeah. I have learned yeah. how to yeah. trump the system. So I know that if I with my fitness <laughs> score is 80, but it's I have no races coming. That's good for me but I keep doing these crazy long bike rides and that's what pumps up the score. So it'll be like 400 TSS. And my partner, she, her fitness level is like 45 or 55 right now. Cause she's not doing, I'm training for a century and she's focusing on like building her speed on her run. So running doesn't really count. Yeah. It's a real mental thing with the training peaks. I mean, I get completely obsessed with it. Exactly. That's a good, I never thought about that, but it's, it's like, we, we literally every night, she's like, what's your, what's your fitness level? We like have a competition. Oh my God, exactly. And that is, yeah, that, that is not, no, it's fine. I don't want to say it's not good, but that is like, that is why I've had to get off training beats because it's true. It's addictive. You're like, oh, am I, am I even fitter now? Oh, I need yeah. to keep this line up when that doesn't really give you a judge of how fit you are. That's a really good point. What's your nutrition like? Because you mentioned that you had a cramp on your last race, Lake Placid. Placid. What's your nutrition like? And does it change and evolve over time? And is it race dependent? Yeah, it's definitely. So with that, I mean, the race nutrition has definitely changed over time. I used to, I've probably tried all bars, chews, everything out there. And probably three or four years ago, I moved strictly to all liquid calories just for ease of digestion, getting it through your system, all calories, hydration in the bottles, liquid. So that hasn't changed much over the last three to four years. But for me, it's been the like tension to detail and practicing it before a race. And I don't, right. I didn't practice it enough before Placid where you go out on your training ride and you're chugging those bottles every hour throughout the whole ride, practicing it because you can train your gut to absorb it all, to not come back up, to not have GI issues. Yeah. And when I go into Kona, like we'll do 
three or four weeks of like every training ride is doing that. And I would have done that, be doing that right now, actually. And I just hadn't done that leading into Placid. And then Placid, I also had like a little bit of a stomach thing. I think it was maybe the like I swallowed too much of the lake water. Like I couldn't keep anything down in the first couple hours on the bike. So that was just like calories that didn't stay in. So that caught up with me with the last five miles of the run, which was annoying. But so yeah, for me, the nutrition, it's like practicing it. So it, anyone can have different nutrition plans, no matter what it is, but you practice yeah. it before the race. <laughs> I know you're on Swift all the time. Do you have a favorite world or a favorite course on Swift? I probably the volcano just because yeah. I like to climb. So I usually put it on the volcano. I'll do even like my big fear efforts up that and then flip around, spin down. So <laughs> yeah, I like the new Macquarie world. That's kind of fun. Oh, try that one. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's I have, it was on the other day. But like I said, I've been doing their their Zwift Road Academy, which I find, you know, even yeah. though I have all my training, you know, on training peaks from, you know, my coaching and my plan, I still like to do these the vo2 max it's just such a great program that they have so i've been testing it out for the first time yeah. so it's only one workout a week so it's it's like i fit it into everything else i did one of their pro race series in i think may and it was actually really good because it was the hardest day of the week every wednesday it was just yeah. like all at work <laughs> yeah i think i saw that because you had it on uh your instagram and also was it was it on youtube and you were yeah i remember that oh because paula was down here training at yeah. that point too that's fun that you get to train with other athletes and that you have your like a pro community where you're friends even though you're all competing yeah yeah no totally yeah it's it's awesome training with her for, for sure she's so fun <laughs> And so, and you run in hokas. So I, I am now loving hokas. One of my yes. favorite shoe brands. I tried, I ran in the Mach 4s for Timberman. I love them. Which mm -hmm. ones do you run in? I do a lot of my training in the mocks. Um, oh, you do? Mocks. I love that shoe. Yeah. 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 So I train mostly in the mocks or the Clifton's, but I race in the Rockets. Okay. So one cool. of their, they have two race flats the rockets and then the carbon x's both are great they're just light they've got the carbon plate but i've been doing almost all my training right now in the, the new mock i used to race in the mocks okay and they've really shifted on oh well, yeah this is their fourth version but i think it's it, it almost feels more like a clifton now but not as thick of a sole so in a good way like there's good support yeah it has i felt like it had great support for doing the distance and just enough bounce where I didn't feel like I was dragging my shoes, like where I had enough of like a lift. I yeah. like the Carbon X shoes also. I just use those on the treadmill though. I've never tried to actually do any long distance running in them. And long distance is anything over 30 miles. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those are good. You should try them. Because I'm sure you have, you wear different shoes for different distances or? Yeah, usually. I've been racing mostly in the Rockets. That's like okay. my go-to, but Carbon X's are good too. They have, have more of like a spring. And then what are your go-to wheels? Ooh, Envy race wheels. Usually, yeah, depending on the course, but yeah, seven eights usually, but Envy SES 7.8s. Okay. Are, um, you change it based on the terrain and the conditions, right? Yeah, like the size of it. So, or the depth of the rim. So maybe, maybe a slightly smaller front in Kona, if it's going to be super, super windy, but that would usually be the only one just depends on if the course is super windy or not. Is there anything new and exciting coming down the pipeline that you want to talk about or share? Oh yeah. So we actually just launched, um, our new racing team. It's called plush global. So you'll see it more out on the race course soon. It's coming. We'll launch the first kit, but um, it's, it's more just, yeah, like racing team, um, supporting each other, gravel, triathlon, whatever endurance, um, sport is your choice, but, um, just, yeah, a fun, fun community of, of endurance athletes. So that's cool. Yeah. So what? it's plushglobal.cc on Instagram. Okay, cool. And people can, can people buy the kits or it's for just for the pros right now? Or how is this? Um, eventually for okay. sure. Eventually 
we're in the we're going to announce the pros that will race for us. So we've got some big big names coming. It's kind of a weird time of the year, obviously with Kona's postponed, but a lot of contracts run through the end of the year, so you can't right. like necessarily say anything. Yes. That. So things like that are we're just slowly leaking it out, but big things coming. <laughs> you and Wadi, right? Your partners and yeah. all this. Are you fa- are you the fashion designer or is he? Like who's more creative? <laughs> he is 1000% the creative mind, like fashionable, like literally changed my fashion sense, made me like, he's like, really you wear that? He's good. He's so creative. He does all the kit designs, has all the marketing, like all the like genius ideas behind like guerrilla marketing ideas. He's good. Like, how to stay. Thank you. I will tell him. Yeah, he's he is so creative and I am like the opposite, just like more like numbers, like OCD, like very by the book. And he's a cancer. He's very sensitive. He's very emotional. He's very like mind always going. Like What sign are just, you? I'm a Taurus. Okay. The bull. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio and I'm dating it. Oh, I'm, water yeah. A water sign. So our signs get along, but I also get along with the cancers. Is she cancer? Yeah. She's a cancer. She's total cancer yeah two water signs <laughs> a lot of emotion a lot of a lot of, stuff. A lot of yeah a lot of thing <laughs> there's no grounded person in here <laughs> actually okay. her daughter is a capricorn so that brings some grounded energy to the apartment but yeah okay okay <laughs> that's fine. I love your logo though too on your website. Like all is did he design that too or Yeah, totally. Yep. <laughs> it's very similar. He's yeah, good. it's nice. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to to seeing your new line uh collection <laughs> kit. Yeah. And um anyway. Well, this was awesome, Heather. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 